Um, I want to mention to you right now that we're going to receive communion today, but we're going to do it after the message instead of before, and that's intentional. Uh, I want to uh, say welcome to Crossroads Church if you're a visitor. Thanks for coming here. We love God. We love his word. We love to worship, and uh, we love you. We just don't know you yet, and we'll get a chance to know you. I want to let you know that right after church, there's coffee and cookies. It's all free. It's down the hall, and um, nothing weird will happen to you other than the coffee and the cookies or whatever that does them. Um, so today we're in part four out of five on the topic of how do we follow Jesus in a Facebook selfie-centered world, okay? How do we do that? Because we're going to see, and I think you would agree, that social media and technology uh, can really stimulate compassion. It really can stimulate compassion, um, but it's also possible that it has some effects that it, that it doesn't want to have, which is to hinder compassion. I mean, I think social media can really make a really, really positive difference in our world. And there's lots of different ways you can do it. There's, you know, it can raise awareness about issues. And for appropriate issues, it can raise a lot of money. And, um, you know, it can do things like that. And, and something can become, that was unknown, can become very well known. And, um, but then uh, almost overnight, sometimes those things can just fade away. I mean, you probably can think of a few, I mean, um, there was this news story in the news over the fall about 200 Nigerian schoolgirls who were abducted and disappeared, and that was all over the media, and it, it was in the media, and it was in the media, and it was in the media. Hasn't been resolved, but have you noticed it's kind of gone now? It's just kind of gone off the front page, not even on the second page. Another one was, uh, another one was over the fall was, the remember the ALS ice bucket challenge? Before that, I mean, people knew what Lou Gehrig's disease was, I think, but it just wasn't in the press much. And then all of a sudden, all you saw was people dumping ice water on top of each other's head. And I was, you know, I never got, it dumped on me. I'm thankful for that. I thought, you know, well, if it's going to happen to me, I'd take warm water, put the ice in it, and dump it. You can't tell the temperature of the water from a video, right? <laughs> I should never admit to being that sneaky, should I? <laughs> right? It's, it's not a good thing. Anyway, I mean, but it was all over. And now it's, it's, it's raised a lot of money for a very good cause. You know, let's do some research on a disease and help people. But it's, it's just gone. It goes and then it, and it, and it, and it's gone. There are a lot of benefits and things can come, become really, really popular and then they're just not there anymore. So I think social media can provide a lot of benefits, but it does have some downsides too when it comes to the topic of compassion. I want to talk to you today about compassion. The University of Michigan did this, um, this comprehensive study of, of over 14,000 students that went from 1979 to 2009. It took 30, they, they, they did these measurements over the course of 30 years. And they found a drastic decline in empathy. A decline in empathy. We care 40% less about people than we used to. Now, I hear a statistic like that, and I think, okay, 40%, how do you measure that? I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, give me some facts here because it, you know, it's based on feelings. How do you, I mean, you can calculate gas mileage. It's real easy. You put the gas in, you drive a distance, you measure how many, I mean, that's, it's very, very clear. Empathy? How do you measure empathy? Well, okay, so if you dig a little, you can find out how the scientists go about doing this, and it, and it makes sense. They, they, um, they would have a, a, they would give the, the people um, all kinds of different circumstances, and they'd ask them questions. How do you feel? What do you believe? You know, how would you respond? And then you would say one high, you know, five lower. They would give you a scale. And they used that same kind of method all through this process of the study. So, so, okay, if you go through the study and you see some of the kind of questions they asked, here's this one. I sometimes try to understand my friends better by looking at things from their perspective. Sounds good. 
but there was a drastic decline in the number of people that do that. Way fewer people do that today than they used to. Here's another one. I often have tender, concerned feelings about people less fortunate than me. A significant drop. Fewer people call themselves soft-hearted than years ago. Another one where, it come, where it's talking about other people's misfortunes. It just doesn't bother us as much as it used to. These are measurable changes in the attitudes and the feelings of people. A 40% drop in how much we care about people. And uh, you know, this is a study. We care less now than we used to in the 1980s. Interesting. And it, ob, the obvious question to me is, what's going on? Why do we care less? Why do we care less? I mean, there's lots of theories, lots of studies going on out there right now that would relate to social media as, as, as being a cause there. And so I'm going to show you um, a three possible re- ways that social media causes us to care less. The question, how does technology cause us to care less? First one is I think that, it, that we should admit that we're a little more obsessed with, ourse- with ourselves than we used to be. I mean, I mean, even the whole concept of the selfie, I've made fun of that, and I take selfie pictures, and I take them with my granddaughter on my lap, and this week I stooped to taking a selfie picture of me with my granddaughter on her lap, and she had her baby. So there was three of us in this really cool selfie. And um, I, mean, I mean, some of you maybe have never taken a selfie. You had, it's, it's almost an unnatural act to turn a camera on yourself, okay? But it's becoming very, very common now. So maybe some of you have done it, and there's lots of different kinds of selfies. If you've never done one before, you, just don't, you don't know. There's like... There's the duck face selfie. There's the um, me with my besties selfie. There's the, hey, look at the great seats I've got at the game selfie. There's the, um, uh, this is I just woke up in the morning selfie. This is the look what my pizza looks like selfie. There's the, hey, what do you think about my cute little new dog selfie. I mean, there's all these selfies. You know, there's silly selfies that don't, mean anything unless there's also a contrasting serious selfie, the I'm not a crook selfie, you know. So we're just becoming a little bit more obsessed with ourselves. Seems like a strong word. Studies show that 80% of what a person does on social media relates directly to the user. In other words... If I'm going to go on social media, I'm going to spend my time on what I'm interested in. I'm going to spend my time to find out what you're saying about me. What you, did you like my picture? Are there comments? And 80% of us, we go there to see something that's about us. And the thing is that when we see something about us, our body starts doing something. There's a hormone in our brain that gets released when we get stimulated like that. It's called dopamine. Dopamine is is one of the hormones that controls the reward and pleasure centers in the brain. So we go online and we see something, it stimulates us, out comes this hormone, makes us feel good. And so what's happening is to a degree, our body is physically training us to become more obsessed with ourselves. Just a little bit at a time. And the the venue itself contributes. Second reason. Second reason it causes us to care a little bit less is that I think that there's an overwhelming exposure to suffering that, that desensitizes us. We see so much, we just become less sensitive. And the more pain we see, the, the harder it is to care. I mean, I mean, the most obvious example to me is I look at, at Terry's own failing attitudes on this topic um, is the TV commercials, you know, about the little 
child in a, sitting in a dirty street, you know, somewhere in Africa, and the flies are crawling across their face, and someone in the background is, is pleading for money. You know, it used to be Sally Struthers. And I couldn't see anything but all in the family when she would come on there. And I thought, you know, the child is real, the pitch is authentic, but the woman's an actor, and it kind of, it kind of you know... And I gave myself an out to care, kind of. And, and watching those commercials, I mean, here's, trans, I'm being transparent. I'd watch those commercials and I'd think, I don't want to watch this. It makes me feel bad. If I give them money, I don't know if it's going to go to really help this kid or somebody somewhere is going to, you know, I, I just, it just bugged me. Furthermore, I feel guilty that that kid's sitting there with flies and I, I got a nice house to live in. I feel guilty. I don't want to watch, change the channel. <laughs> And, and, I, and I've seen kind of things like that, you know, and, and then it's gone more recently to probably a worse level for me. I didn't really try. Now there's the same kind of commercials about dogs and cats. And listen, I am not, a, I care about dogs and cats. <laughs> there's degrees involved, I will admit. I care about your cats. The rest of the cats, I don't give a rip about them. <laughs> no, I, but I mean, I mean, I, I was in my devotion this morning, and it wasn't in my. Um, I, I'm going to read something to you out of my devotions. I was, I was in Zechariah, which is you know an Old Testament just before the New Testament. You can look this up later if you want. And here's this verse, and so I had to highlight it. It's in, in chapter 7, verse 11. You don't have to read it or look it up, but you can. It says, But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear. And I'm thinking about, you know, I'm, 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 I've gone through the sermon. This is early today. I've already gone through the whole sermon again for the umpteenth time in preparation for preaching. And now I'm doing a devotion, just Nothing, no assignment, just some time in the Word of God. And the Lord takes me and says this. Here's the, here's the deal, though. The preceding verses, starts in, starting in verse, verse 9. This is Zechariah, he's a prophet, and he's prophesying. Thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true justice, show loving kindness and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien, or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brothers. But they refused to hear. They shrugged their shoulders and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing. This is a loss of compassion. I'm not proud of it. I don't think it's good. I don't think Jesus likes it either. I really, I mean, I mean, or, okay, and another another way that, that, um, the overexposure kind of desensitizes us a little bit. I think, you know, you can be, you can be reading your, your news feed and you get these disparate stories, but they come in a stream. You know, the first story might be something like, you know, some new way to make guacamole, a better use of the whatever. And then the next issue is another story about another football player beating his girlfriend. And then the next one is going to be a funny cat video. And the next one is going to be a journalist being beheaded somewhere in the world. And I process the story, process the story, process. And somehow, just that process, they're all equal stories. I'm not at all suggesting that a beheading is equal to guacamole. It's just that all, somehow it gets lost 
the, the, the scale, it just disappears and somehow they become equal stories. They're just the stories I read today. Compassion, a little bit gone. It's diluted. It gets lost. Third way that uh, tech, technology can cause us to care less is a lack of personal interaction makes it easier not to care. A lack of personal interaction makes it easier not to care. I mean, you're reading on Facebook, and let's say you lose your job, and you post on Facebook, I lost my job. And, and you see things like that on Facebook, and, and what you see is people who, who care, they get on there and they read, oh, bad news, I'm praying for you. Okay? And someone else will see that I'm praying for you, and they'll click like, right? I like that. And that's kind of like another way of saying it's a shortcut. I'll be praying for you too. I like that somebody's praying for you. And that's one level. But if, if we're instead sitting across from each other, having a, a Coke or a cup of coffee or something, and, and you say, I lost my job, and, I look, and I'm looking into the desperation I see in your eyes, and you tell me, I've got to tell my daughters they can't go to dance anymore, and I pay my mother's rent, and I don't, I'm not going to be able to pay that, plus my house payment, I don't know what to do. I'm at a whole new level of compassion because of the fact that we're face-to-face. Distance does that. It gives us some separation, and it makes it easier. It makes us more likely even maybe to disconnect. So when we relate to each other based on what we see through social media, we can actually end up caring less. We don't mean to, but we end up caring less. And the challenge for us as followers of Christ is God calls us to so much more. Compassion is important. It really counts. So I want to look at a couple of thoughts that will kind of be a backbone as we talk, continue this morning. And, and I really believe that we don't intend to do this, but I really believe that the Holy Spirit's going to maybe awaken some things for all of us. I hope so. Um, I know he has for me, and, and his presence will do that. So the first thought that I want to just lay down here for this, for understanding, is that true compassion demands action. True compassion demands action. Now, the word that when you see Jesus had compassion, it's repeated all throughout, but you see it in Matthew 9 in particular. The Greek word is splagnizomahi. Uh, I practiced. Splagnizomahi. In case you ever have to say that word, I don't want to ever have to say it again, but I'm going to splagnizomahi. Top that one, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, it's like, it, it's crazy, but it means this. It literally means to have your bowels yearn. An aching that demands action. Now, I'm severely tempted with my 12-year-old boy maturity. Have you ever had your bowels aching and you felt like you had to take action? Okay, that's graphic, but that's what this word means. You are so moved with compassion that you're going to get up and go do something. I'm sorry to take you there, kind of. And it's not just an emotion you feel. It's something that triggers you to actually go take action. It demands the action. Second thought is this, that to say that you care but not act is to not care. To say you care but not act is to not care. Say, yeah, yeah, I care, but you don't do anything about it. It's not really seriously care. And, you know, you, you, you can see something sad on you know, Instagram or Facebook, and um, somebody says, we're praying, so click 
like, click. Caring is not clicking. It's actually being involved to make a difference. Caring, caring is not liking a post. Caring is actually loving a person, actually loving that person. It's being moved from the depths of your soul to, to go beyond yourself, to somehow get involved to make a difference in somebody's life. And when you look at the life of Jesus through the scripture, every time you see the word of compassion concerning Jesus in the gospels, it's always represented by some corresponding action. Every single time. There's not an exception to that. Every single time. When you see Jesus moved with compassion, you're going to see something action because he felt something, therefore he did something. Here's some examples. I'm not going to give you all of them that are in there, but they're they're easy to find. Mark 1, uh, 40 and 41. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion... He was moved with splignoctum, whatever that word is, okay? Therefore, he acted. Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said, be healed. I love that. Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion. Splignidomazii. Okay, I should learn how to say that word. On them, he had that on, and and he healed the sick, it says. He healed the sick. He didn't say, hey, I'll be praying for you. I hope things work out. He felt for them, and therefore he, he was moved to action. Matthew 20, there are these blind guys that are crying out to Jesus, have mercy on us, Lord, you know, we can't see. It says, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. He felt compassion, so he acted. True compassion demands action. To say you care, but to not act is to not care at all. And somehow that statistic that we care 40% less is just, you know, it's tragedy for us. It's, I, I think, I really think that to the Lord it's unacceptable. Now, I'm not. This is not a correcting word. I'm not trying to correct you. I'm saying this is where our culture sits, and we're we're part of the culture, and we go there with the culture, to some degree. You know, and the reality is, the more I obsess over social media, you know, do you like my picture? Do you like my duck safe duck faced selfie? The more I care about me, the less I have a tendency to care about other people. But the more I obsess about Jesus, the more I want to know him, want to walk with him, want to be friends with him, the less I care about me. You know, the closer I get to Jesus, the less I care about myself and the more I care about other people. So when you really think about it, do not answer these questions out loud. Just ask yourself these questions. When was the last time that you've given a whole day or a whole weekend to someone to, to care for them, for somebody else? Or when was the last time that you went significantly out of your way to, to give financially? You know, you, 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 to some situation, to somebody who has a need, to something that you could solve to make a difference in their life. When was the last time that you put aside, skipped something that you really wanted to do so you'd be available to care for somebody in a way that you can make just a huge difference. I ask myself those questions, and I'm, you know, I mean, a lot of us would say, well, yeah, I've done that. It would last week, and it's not that unusual, and I praise God for that. But some of us would say, you know what, good point. I can't really remember the last time my day-to-day life wasn't about the things I wanted to do. And, you know, if that's you, it might tell you that you're not as close to Jesus as you ought to be. Because when you're really, really close to Jesus, 
life's not about me. It's not about me. It's about glorifying God. It's about loving him. It's about compassion that demands an action. So, some quick application to this, and then we'll get to communion. As we watch Jesus, we're going to see a characteristic that time and time again, Jesus um, has this experience. So, so three thoughts about what does compassion do. First thing to notice is, that, is this. Compassion interrupts. Compassion interrupts. And it happened to Jesus. And you, you, I'll give you some examples. You don't have to turn to these. You can, but I'll just give you the general address in case you want to read these stories later. But um, Mark chapter 6, Jesus and his disciples, the scenario is they'd been working their tails off. They had been busting it. They were going day and night. And um, they were tired. They were fried. In fact, the word says that they had been going so hard they didn't have time to eat. They're, they're, they're pretty tired. So they wanted to get away and get some rest, you know. I, need just, I just need some me time. I just need to just sit down and veg out. I mean, somebody take care of these kids for a while before I give them away. I mean, just give me some downtime. That's where these guys were. And in fact, the idea of, of rest in this scenario is Jesus' idea. Let's go rest. I can see it. We need it. And the story goes on, and it says, when he saw the crowd, though, as wiped out as he was, he had compassion on them, and so he acted and he, he taught to them. Because that's what you do when you're moved with compassion. This is what you do. You got to do something, you act. And so Jesus interrupted his me time and he says, I'm going to go serve these people. Another example is Luke 8. Jesus is actually on his way to go heal a dying girl. That's a pretty big deal, okay? He knows he's going to go heal this girl. She's going to die if he doesn't get there. And along the way, a woman interrupts him. And she's got her own problem. And she says, I've been dealing with this for 12 years. Could you help me out? He's, he's, get this. He's on his way to do what God wants him to do. <laughs> okay? And he gets stopped by someone along the way. And what he, what he discovers is that, yeah, he's on his way to do something God wants him to do. But God wants to interrupt that and do something else along the way. So what does he do? He's moved with compassion. He heals her, then he goes and he deals with the girl. Actually raises her from the dead. And that's pretty cool. There's another really crazy story, um, crazy because of what happened to me this week in my office, my, my study at home. Um, so the crazy story is Jesus is, is in this house and he's preaching and the house is so full, there's no room, people, it's jammed. And there's four guys outside and they bring this paralytic friend of theirs and they want, they've heard, hey, Jesus will heal him. He's paralyzed. Let's get him in there. It changes life, but they can't get in the room. The place is jammed. So they, they go up on the roof, and they start pulling the hole out in the roof, right? I'm in my study this week um, reading these stories, and um, I'm sitting at my desk. The picture here is before they get the hole all the way open, Jesus is in there. St- stuff's starting to fall on his head, right? It doesn't say that in Scripture, but break a hole open in the roof of a house. Stuff falls, Okay. Anyway, so I, I picture him, he's in there and stuff's starting to fall out of the ceiling and, you know, the mess and the stuff that's in the attic and, you know, and um, there's spiders up there. <laughs> yeah, spiders are, okay. So they, they <laughs> so, so, so I'm sitting at my study this week and I'm sitting at my desk and all of a sudden there's this wet spot on my desk. Man, I, I didn't realize it spilled, so I cleaned it up in a few more minutes. There's, it's wet again. I'm thinking, I, I got to pay attention. How did I spill water? Then I looked up, and it's raining outside, right? 
I looked up and I'm thinking, it's coming out of the ceiling. So I did what any smart man would do. I stood up and touched it to see what was there. And my <laughs> finger went right through the ceiling and all this crud started coming down, right? I don't know. Anyway, it has nothing to do with this scripture. But I figured Jesus is sitting there. Stuff's coming down. These guys are insistent and they start pulling the thing apart. And he's in the middle of a sermon. Now, I can identify with this. I spend a lot of time preparing a sermon like this. I mean, it might not seem like it, but I do. When I'm doing my sermon, when I'm preaching, don't you dare interrupt me. I got a plan here. I've worked hard on this sermon. Don't you go tearing a hole in the roof of this building, right? Okay. So, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm picturing this, but what does Jesus do? They lower this guy down and Jesus' heart goes, oh, I got to do something about this. So he stops what he's doing. He listens to the man. He looks him in the eye and he says, hey, and he helps him. He heals the guy. He was interrupted. And I think God often works through divine interruptions. He does. How often do we miss those because we're too busy doing our own thing? I, I, I think I do. I mean, I wonder because I think, I think sometimes I miss those things because of my own selfishness. I mean, I was doing what I wanted to do or felt was right or even I was doing what I thought God wanted me to do in those moments. And God did want me to be doing those things, but God also wanted to interrupt and do something along the way. And I think that sometimes I miss those things because I'm just not quite open enough to what the Holy Spirit might be trying to do. Wow. You know, God might move on you today to pick up the phone and actually talk to somebody, call somebody. Or you're driving along and you see a car pulled over and a forlorn face and they need their tire fixed. And you may just decide to pull over and actually physically change the tire. Be safe. You know, somebody's got a need that you can meet and you think, you know, I was planning on doing this, but I think I'm going to do this and just trust God with the rest. Or, or, or maybe you're just going to go off your normal, and you're going to sit down and listen to the annoying person in your life, the person that annoys you when they talk to you, the blah, 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 blah. None of you have that in your life. You might be the one. Anyway, so, um, but you're going to do something because of compassion, because there's something of need, and you, you, you're going to let the Holy Spirit interrupt you because God often works through divine interruptions. Second thing is that... Um, Compassion does. Compassion costs. Compassion costs. There's a story uh, I thought Jesus told. It was really a compelling story about um, there was a Jewish guy who had been walking along and he was mugged and um, beaten and he's laying on the roadside and uh, a priest goes, a couple of people go by that should have helped him and they just ignored him. They saw the bloody mess and thought, I don't want to have anything to do with this. This is none of my business. And they went their merry way. And a Samaritan's coming along. Now, just so you understand, Samaritans were uh, people who lived in that general area, but there was real enmity between them and the Jewish people that had gone back hundreds of years. They had done things as a group that were really offensive and opposed to the Jews, and so they were, it was bad. They did not get along. It was like an ongoing feud that had gone on for hundreds of years. Enemies. So other people tried to help him, but not, but, but, but decided not to help him, but, but what does a Samaritan do? He stops, he bandages this guy up, tosses him in his limo, which was a donkey, drives him to the local hotel, the closest inn, 
says to the innkeeper, this guy's in tough shape. And he says, here, can you let him rest? And he gives the innkeeper two days wages so that this total stranger can get better. Two days wages for a complete and total stranger. It costs us. It can cost us. But too often, we want to have compassion, but we want to do it in a drive-by manner. You know, it's like you push the button, the window goes, hey, can I call somebody for you? Thanks, I've got a cell phone. <laughs> you know, they've got one. Um, and, and we want to say, if it's easy for me, if it's not too inconvenient, you know, I'll click, I'll like, I'll favorite it, I'll share the link. It's so easy to do that, but true compassion generally costs us something. Have you ever had this funny feeling you're in the grocery store? I mean, maybe this has, I bet you this has happened to you. It probably has happened to you, and you've maybe have acted on it. Um, and you're in the grocery store, and you're thinking, I need to pay for this person's groceries. And then this discussion starts going on. Um, that's weird. How do I offer it to them? I'll offend them. And, and this argument, I, I'm not going to pay for their groceries. They can pay for their own groceries. i got to pay for mine. I mean, this argument will go on. We're actually having an argument with ourselves about doing something good. That could be God. That could be God. You're sitting in a restaurant somewhere and you see some family and you think, I'm supposed to take some, I don't understand this. i got my own needs, but go bless them. Hey, waiter, give me their bill. I don't know them, but I want to pay their deal. Don't tell them until I'm out of the place. Now, I'm not looking for some sort of praise. I'm just obeying something good. And that's the thing. Clicking is clean. Compassion is messy. It can be really messy, you know. Some of you, I believe, are going to be moved in compassion to do something that's not going to be clean. Maybe you're going to be moved in compassion to mentor a, a parentless child. And they're around here. And it will be complicated. It will be. Maybe, you know, thinking about children, maybe you're going to be moved to come and talk to Pastor Kyle and say, hey, how do I help the youth program here? And so you're serving, and the Lord is going to wrap your heart about some 15-year-old boy who's living life with an absolute chip on his shoulder because nobody's ever looked him in the eyes before and cared. It's not going to be clean. It's going to be messy. Or you're going to really respond in faith somehow, and you're going to decide to foster. And so you're fostering some child, and you are patching up their heart, and you're loving on them like crazy. And the moment comes that you've got to return them to their family, but it's best for the child. And so you, you do it, and your heart just tears apart. But it's messy. But it's compassion. And Jesus is so pleased. And you're going to get involved in some purpose, and it's just not going to be clean as a click. But that's what compassion does at cost. It interrupts at cost. And the third thing is this. And we're just about done. Compassion changes lives. It really does. It changes lives. Everywhere when Jesus went, when he was moved and he acted on compassion, the people's lives were changed. Every one of those people that he touched, they had their lives changed. And the same thing is going to happen for anybody that you touch because of the compassion of God. It's supernatural. I just tell you. When your love and compassion gets out of your heart, through your fingers, and into your acts, the people that you touch are going to be changed. The thing is this. There's not only one person that gets changed by that. I promise you, you will be changed. You will be a different person 
when you act on compassion. Oftentimes, the person who gets changed the most will be you. If you want your life to change for the better, start here. Compassion for other people. Compassion is where we ache from the inside for somebody else because we care. And because we care, we're going to act. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that today your spirit is speaking to people.